right, what's good, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Peace Scott Sports Talk. I'm your host, Prescott Kelly, and I'm super excited today. I'm so jacked. Uh, I've got a good friend of mine and of the show, Mr. Dylan Larson, joins me. He's my personal, like, Cowboys insider, if you will. Dylan, how's it going, man? Thanks for being on the show today, bud. Hey, I'm doing great, man. I'm excited to be here, excited to uh, talk a little football, talk Cowboys, yeah. maybe talk a little NFL draft. Absolutely. Well, we'll cover primarily Cowboys. I know that's like your real bread and butter as well as the draft is as well. So I really want to get, I know, you know, Dallas is America's team, regardless for good, bad and ugly or indifferent. And uh, I know that, you know, all the ins and outs. So yeah, I definitely want to get to that. But if you want to tell the people a little bit about yourself, what you do, your bona fides as far as Cowboy Nation is concerned, we'll, we'll get popping after that. But I wanted, I wanted everybody to get a little bit more of a backstory on, on you though. Absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, uh, super passionate Cowboys fan, uh, but on top of that, just a hardcore co- uh, football fan in general. Um, I did write for the Landry Hat, which is a well-known Cowboys blog. Um, I wrote for them for several seasons, uh, had over 40 million page views, actually, uh, while I was writing for them. And particularly uh, the mock drafts often were the articles that really uh, seemed to stand out as far as being able to get those page views, because I mean, come draft season, all the fans are always wanting to know, how are we going to maximize the talent on the roster? How are we going to fill the glaring holes? So on and so forth. So sure. uh, yeah, so um, that's the general background for me. I am a season ticket holder for the Cowboys. I go to every home game and one road game a year typically, so. Do you try to venture as far away from Texas as possible on that one road game, or do you try to keep it more centrally located so you don't have to drive as far? <laughs> so I normally fly, honestly. Um, oh, you fancy, huh? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it really comes down to when the schedule gets released. I'll reach out to a few buddies. I'll look at the – you know, I already know all of the games except for a couple that get determined by how the, you know, division uh, ends up – you know, finishing out as far as place uh, because you play similar placed teams from other divisions as far as determining just a couple games a year. Otherwise, the schedule is entirely predetermined. So I already know the different road games and and home games as far as those options go. And I know the rotation that the NFL is on. So I can really kind of take a look and go, okay, depending on my schedule, I'm going to – you know, potentially maybe I'll go to Kansas City this year. Um, or Oh, we got a connection here again. This happened on our trial run. Everybody, please stay with us. Um, it's just technology. There there we go. Now we're back. That okay. was much shorter than the last one, though. That's good. No worries. Awesome. Hey. So you were, you were talking about how you were just getting, like, you might go to Kansas City and you got kind of cut out right, right there. Yeah. So I'm thinking probably Kansas City this year because we only go to Kansas City every eight years. Arrowhead is one of those stadiums that is just a unique experience from what I've heard. You know, they say it's one of the loudest. So you haven't been to Arrowhead yet? I have not. So I've been to Minnesota, Seattle, Denver. um, Shoot, drawing a blank on some of the other places I go, but – uh, yeah, we try to go to one road game a year, and I normally try to plan it around either friends that are fans of other teams or other Cowboys fans that might live in a different part of the country. So I try to find a unique stadium, a unique experience, a specific reason why, you know, I'll go to that game. I really do enjoy going up to Seattle because, again, that's a loud stadium, and when you win a game in a stadium <laughs> like that it is the most amazing feeling but i will also say when you go and you get you know your cheeks absolutely <laughs> clapped it's also you know just the worst feeling ever but it still ends up being a fun experience all the same so 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 two two follow questions on that one what has been your favorite out of town experience what's your favorite road game that you've been to and were you at the were you at the game with Aaron Rodgers where there was, there was like a minute and 30 left and the the iconic photo of the guy taking a selfie with yes. when Aaron Rodgers had that last were you at that yes. game too yes I was <laughs> so 
I was at both of the Cowboys Packers playoff games that were played at AT AT&T stadium uh, where we ended up losing the game. (laughs) So yes, uh, I was there. Uh, Definitely experienced that firsthand. So that's got it. That's got to be a kick in the balls. Yeah. So what was really rough about that was (laughs) there was a tornado that came through Arlington right when that game was ending and it, yeah, was, it was Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, it was literally Aaron Rodgers tornadoing through our stadium. We got locked down. I was stuck in the stadium with a bunch of Packers fans celebrating all around me. Oh, my God. That would be the worst. Stuck in there feeling pissed off because Rodgers just did it to us again. Dude, that would be me if I was at if I was in Buffalo and New England had done that to us and I'd be stuck with a bunch of Pats yeah. fans. Like, that would have been my equivalency. Yeah. That one sucks. And then and then you said, so I know you said you've been to a few road games too. What's been the coolest so stadium my, like outside of Arlington yeah. you've been to? So my favorite experience for the game day would be when in 2014 I went up to – Damn, we lost you again. It's like every three minutes it seems like. I can't tell if that's because of Anchor or whatnot because I got a great connection. This is goofy. I'm sorry, guys. You got me again? There we I'm go. I'm not yeah, sure it's, what's it's happening. Like every, but it's weird. It's almost like every three minutes on the dot is when it's right. Happening. So yeah, I wonder if it's because my like um, I'm doing this through the phone and the phone keeps like locking and that's what's kind of canceling out the audio. But I'm gonna try to make oh. sure it doesn't lock. Oh, that's a, I wasn't even thinking about that. Yeah, because I I'm I'm doing it from my phone too, and uh, luckily nothing my my phone screen hasn't locked yet. So I'm wondering that's a good point. I wasn't even thinking about that. So yeah, so I'll just try to keep it from locking. But yeah, Seattle was my favorite game as far as the victory because it was such a crazy game. Uh the energy was absolutely wild and going through the stadium celebrating that win with all the Cowboys fans <laughs> after all the Seahawks fans were talking so much trash. <laughs> about how that does good. about how Murray was going to get run over by Bobby Wagner all game and all this stuff, you know. Uh, so when we got to walk through talking trash to all the Hawks fans, because it's rare they leave the stadium feeling down because they win almost every home game. So right. it was so much fun. But I will say for stadium uh, atmosphere and really enjoying the trip in general, I really enjoyed going up to – the new Viking stadium up in Minneapolis in the twin cities. Um, oh, they have really? the best stadium food I've ever had at bar none. Really? They have incredible craft beer. They have incredible uh, local food places. We're not talking like, you know, $15 for a MSG and filler loaded burger or anything like that. We're talking like <laughs> legitimate quality food. I was like, this is the best stadium food I've ever had, even better than the Cowboys stadium. So I was really impressed. And also it was way louder in there than I thought it was going to be. You can tell they designed it for those acoustics for sure. That's cool. Yeah. Cause I've, I've only actually been to one pro game myself, unfortunately, this being up here and, you know, life gets a hold of you and stuff like that. I've only, I've only been to one. It was one home bills game and it was, Willis McGahee's first game back in Buffalo after he had signed with Baltimore. Okay, yeah. And you can just you can just you can just imagine the play on words that people had with his last name that they hand hand his oh, on yeah. their jersey. Oh, guaranteed. <laughs> so that that reminds me. Uh, that that kind of reminds me for some reason of a situation when I was at the Cowboys Patriots game uh, back in twenty. 14 as well actually uh it was a home game actually it was 2013 uh i think it was 13 yeah might be getting the years mixed up actually it was 15 it was one year past 14 uh we hosted the pats and they had it uh this dude had not just a replica this dude had like the legitimate authentic like you know the 450 dollar elite nike Aaron Hernandez jersey on. <laughs> it was it was so awesome just to kind of like see that and be like, I cannot believe that guy just dumped all that money on that Hernandez jersey. But if he got it before everything came out, I would still rock it too. 
you know when that's you- a, that and dude timing like the optics of it obviously are not good but it is timing of when you purchase it like i think that if, if you follow them closely enough you knew that he wasn't a super sweetheart anyways right but after but after we found out all about the Odin Lloyd killer and stuff like that, yeah, if you're if you bought it post that, then we've got a question more than just your purchases, but your your moral compass. <laughs> right. Well. But- Without question. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I had to snap a picture of it, of course, when I saw it, because I was like, it's- I can't believe that this dude is still rocking this right now. But- <laughs> well, when you when you mentioned like that that jersey, it that triggered me back to when you had told me you had, I think you were the one who shared that picture with me of the Scott Norwood Jersey that starts in the middle and then goes wide. Oh, right? yes. I've, yeah. <laughs> I've got to find one of those. Right. I mean, you know, it's, <laughs> it's just one of those pieces of history that, you know, if you understand and you know, Super Bowl history, not even as a Bills fan, you know, wide, right. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's just one of those things. Yeah. It's two, it's a two word sentence that, yeah. It sucks because Buffalo now has two of those. They've got Wide Right and Music City Mirror. I guess Music City is two words itself, so three. But still, right. it's heartbreaking as a Bills. It's just not. It's, you know, let's stop talking about sure. how bad my team well, you is. Know, we'll go ahead. Sure, and get- <laughs> you've got brighter pastures ahead of you with a you know a, a franchise quarterback that is just developing so well, and he is just truly refining his craft. He's really taking huge steps. You know, it's nice to have a franchise quarterback. You know. It is, and that's what I'm kind of I'm, – I'm hoping that that's still the trajectory because I've, I've been hurt so many times by us getting quarterbacks wrong. Now, I, know, I understand this has been a new regime as far as McDermott and Bean, and Brandon Bean's done like just the, one of the most remarkable jobs I've ever seen as far as turning a roster around in such a short amount of time and what they've been able to do to help develop this team to where they are. But I, I just keep replaying in my head Josh Allen's first two years – and all the slander he was getting. And I'm just like, you know what? If I get one more year of almost MVP caliber Josh Allen, I'm willing to say he's the guy. But I just don't want to commit too early and get my heart broken once again. Sure, That's really... <laughs> I totally understand that. And, you know, being a Cowboys fan, us locking Dak up long-term, I feel great about it. Uh, Josh Allen is one of the few guys that, based on what I saw last year, that I would even feel happier paying him exactly what we just paid Dak Prescott and I wouldn't bat an eye and that's because I mean early on in his career just like you said he kind of liked to run more than he liked to throw now running is always going to be an asset for him I kind of saw him as okay so he's cannon armed Mitch Trubisky right now I mean that's really what it seemed like and and last year he was actually setting his feet properly uh, he was really generating throws, you know, from the feet up. He was really lining up and, and working on the mundane throws, the ones you have to have in the NFL. You know, he, when it yeah. was there, he was making them. He was hitting the check downs. He wasn't one-hopping it to him and then slinging a 70-yard bomb, you know, 15 yards out of bounds. You know, he really yeah. had perfected, again, setting his throws up properly. And uh, and that made a huge yeah, and, change, you know. Yeah, and, and and one thing that I've touched on here multiple times is getting that true number one wide receiver because everybody that he had around him was elevated one slot more than they needed to be. Like John Brown's a good, he's a good number two wide receiver, and even though he put up you know just barely over a thousand yards the year beforehand, I don't consider John Brown a true number one wide receiver. But when you get Stephon Diggs, everybody gets to be in their natural positions, and you get that one guy who can you can you can target him twelve to fifteen times a game. And you know he's going to get somewhere close to double-digit catches. And you just have that, that confidence in a true number one. And then your number twos and number threes get to act the way that they're supposed to. And I feel like his confidence just went through the roof. It's on top of all the other, like you said, all the all the meticulous things that you have to do in the offseason to get ready. Absolutely. To, to, to be in the MVP type of caliber season. Going, that Absolutely. going to get digs the way they did with a bold move. Uh, people yeah. were wondering, okay, he doesn't have, you know, Thielen on the other side like he did in Minnesota. How is he going to perform? Well, when you have the different releases and understand leverage and know how a defender is trying to play you and how to use those different releases and the nuances of route running the way that Stefan Diggs does, it translates to any offense. It, it, it really does. 
Yeah. So, well, he gives he gives you such a wide catch radius too. Like you don't have to put it perfectly, but it also seemed that was the other thing that I was really impressed with Allen over the course of last year was just the ball placement in general was far superior than what it was. And again, I think it was because I don't feel like he trusted everything around him his first two years, so he had to play hero ball. So I I've criticized him pretty pretty harshly as far as as far as that's concerned because you can't win that way, especially when they played Houston in the playoffs a couple of years ago, they don't, people in general don't want to give him any, any grief for how he played, but in the final two or three drives, he's really the reason why Buffalo lost that football game, in my opinion. So I was worried that that Josh Allen was going to transfer over to year three, but he completely proved me wrong. But yeah, like, again, I'm just, I'm just looking for one more year. Sure. If I get two straight years of this guy, of this Josh Allen, then I'm on board, and I'm willing to say that I was wrong completely. 100%. I am totally there with you as far as Allen goes. Again, I think he gets extended a year early before you're ready for it. I think it comes down to this summer. I think he gets done. Because uh, the longer you wait, so you th- the more you think you're going to have That's all it comes down there, to. Yeah, because every year you see that this person's the highest paid quarterback, and it's just they're just they're basically just outbidding each other by a dollar right. now. And they just want they just want to be the highest I pay, mean, and that's how it's that's how it's going to be going forward. We're three years, we're only three years past when Jimmy Garoppolo was the highest paid quarterback in the NFL. Isn't that absolutely absurd? <laughs> no. Uh, and now San Francisco's him and Jerry Goff. And somebody, you know, so I mean, yeah, uh, that's how fast it happens when you have a quarterback and you think he might be a franchise guy. It's almost time to try to start talking contract, honestly. But I agree with you. I understand your hesitance as a fan. Uh, I do believe he's going to take another step up, especially because I feel even at his age, Emmanuel Sanders is a more consistent target than John Brown. John Brown. You know? Yeah, and I said I said the exact same thing. Like once I saw I saw John Brown get released and the instant that the 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 place where my mind went instantly was, well they're going to get another wide receiver in free agency, but who is it going to be? And when they made the move for Emmanuel Sanders, I didn't feel like that was necessarily the move that puts them over the top, but he is he's an upgrade at the position. It, it, minus speed in every basic aspect of the wide receiver position. Yeah. I mean, again, he's one of those guys that just gets in and out of breaks so smooth. He can run the same route 10 times and he can throw the timing off of a defensive back and it'll look a little different each time, but he gets to the same spot at the right time. At the same yeah. time, right. So he understands how to change those gears and really get in and out of the breaks and not let a defensive back get a feel for his timing. Uh, that really makes a huge difference as a wide receiver. And those are the little nuances that sometimes those guys with elite straight line speed just can't figure out. Right. Yeah, and it's something where, like, I'm not trying to dog on John Brown because obviously, like, he's – he's the, the route that I saw him perfect all the time was that comeback route it was that 10 to 12 yard and then just break on a dime and come back. Like that was something I felt like he had perfected, but what, yeah, like what you're talking about as far as the actual nuances and the, and the little things, I don't see him as a route runner. Like I do with Emmanuel Sanders. So again, I'm, I'm not trying to dog on John Brown. He's been, he's been a very good and consistent wide receiver, but especially for the money they were paying John Brown and Emmanuel Sanders comes in on a one year, I think a one year, $6 million deal. And every aspect of, this signing, it is an upgrade, both financially and production-wise. Without like. question. I mean, there are teams out there that are paying backup players that kind of money, you know? So I really do feel like Sanders is going to be a really solid fit there. Now, the ultimate question mark, I think, that y'all have on on the offensive side really comes down to the tight end position. Yeah, Dawson Knox is somebody who he – I love his athletic ability and his competitiveness, but he to me is just too hit or miss. And he's, he's obviously, he's very, he's, he's a great athlete. He's got great speed and agility, but he makes, he makes the routine catches look so difficult or he just doesn't make them. And then he makes difficult catches all, but he's not consistent enough and he's not a great run blocker, but if they can figure out the, cause they've been trying to figure out the tight end position forever from Charles Clay to Tyler Croft to Lee Smith. And now, Dawson Knox, if if they can get a top line wide receiver who is a good enough blocker but can also be good in the pass game, that's that's the one weapon. Besides that, and really a running back, 
because they've got two running backs who are the exact same. Almost they are. They're bowling balls and Singletary. They're both little bowling yeah. balls that are physical. They're kind of like a uh, Devonte Freeman type of running back, where they are just yeah. kind of you know they're going to run hard. Uh, they don't have absolute one hundred percent juice. But what they have is, you know, consistency. They can break a tackle. They're, you know, they're solid enough as receivers. They're not great in the passing game. But you're exactly right. right. You could certainly upgrade the running back position. And I think that Jacob Hollister, the tight end pickup y'all had, I think he's going to actually make a few really nice plays uh, for you guys throughout the Do you the see season. him being – I really liked him in do you Seattle, see him being... actually, before he got injured. Yeah, I was going to say, do you see him taking over the number one depth chart spot you know, over Dawson Knox? Because I don't see him, at least not in Athletically speaking, happen. I just don't think that they will do that. But what I do see is them coming out in 12 personnel at times with both of them out on the field, which means one running back, two tight ends. Two tight ends, so, yeah. Um, I really do see Hollister making a few nice red zone plays. He just has a feel for those, you know, when things get tight. He just has a way to separate in the end zone, and he, he's got solid hands. Uh, I really think he's an yeah. underrated pickup. I don't think that he's a significant upgrade over what they have, but I do think that he can help supplement and can kind of pick up where, you know, where Knox has those inconsistencies. There's that, and along with the – I'm 100% with you on that. And the other thing, too, is, is Buffalo's depth – they've had depth at the position. Like they've carried two and three wide receiver or uh, tight ends at a time, but they just don't get any production out of them. Right. Uh, Charles Clay was, Charles Clay was the last person I remember who did anything really at the tight end position for them. But that was what, 20, 2016 when he had Tyrod Taylor. Right. And that was, that was their entire offense was just Tyrod Taylor, LaShawn McCoy, Charles right. Clay, and just absolute garbage. Yeah. You're <laughs> not wrong there. 100%. And, uh, you know, the more weapons you can get around a guy like Allen, the better you're going to be. Gabriel Davis, I feel, is going to continue to flourish as well. I really liked him. I loved him. And that's why I like. That's why I really like the pickup of Sanders. It gives you, on a one-year deal, it's one guy to help him grow a little bit more. Because I thought I saw enough of Gabriel Davis where I thought he could potentially be special. But it was just – it's still too crowded for him to really shine as a true number two. But him at the number three – um Beasley in the slot like that that wide receiving core from one through four I believe is one of the better units in the league currently constructed no doubt it's not Dallas that's for Dallas. Sure. it's not Dallas it's that's for Dallas. sure, sure but. but I mean all in all it's solid like I'm looking at my big board from last year yeah. I had Gabriel Davis as the 84th ranked player in the draft last year so I was big on him coming out so where y'all got him you stole him because we uh, Buffalo got him in the third round, I believe. Right. So, uh, yeah. So probably a good twenty picks after that. So yeah. they got solid value That's out of good that. Though. And again, I really liked him coming out. Uh, he was the only guy that gave one of my sleeper corners from this year, Paulson Adebo, a lot of fits uh, the previous year of college football. So I mean, uh, yeah, I was ex- I was impressed with him and coming out, and he showed in the limited opportunities he got that he can be a playmaker. Absolutely. 100%. I appreciate you talking Bills football as much as you did. I was going to say that for a little bit later, but I, I you know, we got it out the way. Right. Now, and that's totally. <laughs> so the first thing, like, cause I know we had initially talked about, we wanted to start with Dak Prescott and I had this, this whole back and forth thing for me has been so weird because I remember, I think it was the pilot episode of the podcast in general, where I had said, I thought that, I thought Dak wanted to be in Dallas and I thought Dallas wanted to keep Dak, but to me, it seemed like the, the relationship was too fractured to get something done. And then I took a, like a two minute break. I come back to my phone and it says Dak signs like a quarter billion dollar fucking Whoa. contract. And I was like, cause of, of course you would do that. The timing of course was, but the, um, for me, like, it seems like when we listen to ESPN and NFL network and stuff like that, they make it seem like things are, we don't know exactly what's going on. So I, I've heard that the, the relationship was fractured between Jerry Jones and Dak Prescott, but you being so close to the organization, was that actually well, true? Or do you think I that was more say fabricated? Firsthand, your thoughts and feelings on it were exactly what everyone that even has access to the star in Frisco, they were all feeling the same way. There were people in that building that didn't think the deal was going to get done. 
they were ready to have to, they were ready to franchise him, which is basically, I mean, a second franchise is a death wish as a quarterback. There's no way that you get a deal done typically when that happens. We were going to have to try to find a way to trade Dak, figure something out. Um, It was really Todd France, the agent of Dak, that really made this stretch out way longer than it needed to. And the Cowboys were trying to play hardball for two off seasons, trying to say, hey, this is where we're comfortable. This is the number we're at. This is where we want you. We want you here. We don't want to have you sign a short-term deal. We sign five-year extensions around here. That's all we do. So it was a... I was going to say that was a thing, right? He the, the Cowboys wanted five years. Dak wanted four because he wanted the opportunity to hit free agency another year earlier to stack more to stack more exactly cash, right? Exactly right. Like the thought process uh, was? Th- when the new TV deal gets done and finalized, the salary cap is going to double in the course of just a few years. And Ooh, holy shit! Are I'm you serious. serious. Uh, the NFL has already agreed to terms with Disney, uh, with CBS, with NBC. Um, it's just about done. Streaming services too, right? Yeah, because they're they're reaching exactly. Out to... They're talking to Amazon. Um, they're they're really starting to piece this together, including a new direct TV contract. When everything gets finalized, we will see the salary cap at $400 million by 2026, 2027. Uh, it's going to be <sighs> astronomical. So um, Todd France and Dak knew that in the back of their minds. And Jerry, with conceding to literally everything Dak asked for <laughs> when they finally signed it, he knows because he is one of the guys that really gets the ball rolling on pretty much anything that gets done in the NFL. He's one of the movers yeah, and shakers. It's him and it's him and Robert. It's him and Robert Kraft. Yes. Those are the two yeah. guys. So, so Jerry knows that that TV deal is coming, <laughs> and so and that's why they made all of the concessions they did. They just said, "All right, we're giving you everything you wanted. We just want to get the damn thing done." And they ended up doing it. And honestly, it saved them significant money in the cap for the next two years. And within the next two years, well, the TV deal's done. And now the salary cap's going up. Sure. And that was actually the thing I was going to ask you, too, about the contract. Because when I, I was hoping that you can kind of break it down for people who aren't, who aren't really – when people see four, four years, $160 million, they go to, holy hell, he's not Patrick Mahomes. Why are you doing this? It's going to, ha- it's going to handcuff your franchise – but they structured it accordingly where it doesn't necessarily do that. And I want to get your opinion on how it's structured, how they're yes. paying him and what it, what flexibility sure. it still leaves the Cowboys so, going forward, especially yeah. in the short so term. They added void years to the back end of the deal, which is a very popular thing to do this off season, which allows them to yeah. push some of that dead cap space way further down, like to say 2025, 2026. Uh, so they signed mm-hmm. into that four year deal. Um, he got, you know, $75 million in year one is the actual cash he received. He got $65 million right, the that's day that he signed. Seen. And what they can do with right. that <laughs> is they can actually write in prorated bonuses. So he gets all the money right away, but they can actually allot that salary cap hit over the course of many years. So they can actually prorate it you know, all the way out to 2026 if they want. So um, they can really, they really have a ton of flexibility with this. Um, yeah, because his base salary is only, what, nine, it's only nine, yeah. nine million. His cap year, hit, right? his, his base cap salary, yeah. 22 million this year. Uh, next year, it's 33, which I feel is very fair for a quarterback in the modern market. Um, it's When Matt Ryan's, it would be like 37. Right. <laughs> right, exactly. And Ben Ben Roethlisberger was about to be forty one before he he 40, got his yeah. deal, which ended up again adding void years to the contract and completely re- rewrote the whole thing. Um, but yes, he doesn't have a forty million dollar cap hit until twenty twenty three. By then, the TV contract is done. The salary cap is based on revenue. So it's 49.5% of the NFL's revenue generated from the previous season. That's how the set. That's, right. That's why we saw right. it. Right. That's why we saw it go down this year, but it's projected. Right. Further to and, increase. Further and it was supposed straight. to be even lower this year, but what they did is they borrowed a little bit of money on future years, knowing that this pandemic isn't going to be here forever. 
Sure. So they actually borrowed a little bit of money to kind of give the owners some wiggle room. Now they established what the minimum cap would be, and then it even raised a little above that. So, um, you know, that's just how the cap works. And when the TV deal gets done uh, here, by the time he's earning his 44 million in 2023, he's going to be the fifth or sixth highest paid quarterback in the NFL. And to me, that's justified. Yeah, I think that he's done enough. Like, just when you look at what he's done individually, like, I know the Cowboys as a collective unit haven't had a whole lot of success over the past, like, since his career. I don't believe that everything sure. is his fault. Now, obviously, the, the injury was just catastrophic last year, and it wasn't even just to him. There was the O line, and, you know, it seems like your linebackers with Vander Esch and, and Smith, it feels like they're out all the time, right. too. So but, you're exactly right. Now, through the Jason Garrett tenure, there were seasons that were lost due to significant injuries. Uh, There were people that were underperforming. People, you know, there were struggles that happened. It seemed like the first year with Mike McCarthy, all of the bad things that had happened through the 10 years of Jason Garrett all happened in one year. Just got shit on them. What? It just was like, (laughs) all right, you're just about to get destroyed for one year. You know, F your season. Um, This is... Yeah. Nobody thought you deserved this job right. anyway, so you're going to have to do it yeah. this for one year, and right. then we'll, we'll move on so after that. <laughs> the fact that he made a buddy hire by hiring Mike Nolan to be his defensive coordinator was a huge mistake. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was trying to he was trying to completely change the defensive scheme from a one-gap attacking scheme that ran mostly press man and cover three to being a read-and-react two-gap you're responsible for two different gaps depending on what happens throughout the play, which slows players down. It doesn't let them play fast and free, which if you don't have cerebral players, that's not going to work. So right. when Mike Nolan was the defensive coordinator for the Ravens, when they had Ed Reed, Ray Lewis, you know, uh, they had yeah, Terrell Suggs. They were just know, getting they after just guys. They had all of the pieces and they had smart football players. I'm not saying that Dallas has a bunch of idiots on defense, but they're young. And sure. they play better when they can play fast. You can deal with a few mistakes every now and again if they're playing fast. But if you're stopping and having to think, you're going to get the doors blown off you. And, and that's exactly what we saw last year. Um, on, and that's something that, I, that, I've, that I've been talking about for forever is like we put all the emphasis on just the players but at some point in time you've got to look at the coaching staff too and say are you utilizing the players that you picked well and are you using them appropriately to get the most out of them and sometimes we don't see that when you just say what Mike Nolan is absolutely spot and on. And us bringing Dan Quinn in as a defensive coordinator let him go back to what the hell he does. He wasn't an elite head coach yeah. but he does know defensive scheme. He understands the 4-3 under cover 3 system that Pete Carroll implemented up in Seattle. He was one of the architects of it. He was there helping develop that that defense. So I really feel it's a good fit. It brings us right back to the same system we were running previously, uh, which is exciting because there's familiarity there and also it's really easy to find players that fit that scheme. So I really feel like this draft is going to really make or break if the defense can go from absolute dog shit to, <laughs> all right, they're Just good mediocre. enough to win 10 or 11 games. If they can be average, that, honestly, this offense will be good yeah. enough where they can win 10 or 11 ball games out of 17. Yeah, and that's and that's kind of where – I've, I've had the same thought process of like, you don't have to be completely dominated. Like you don't have to be Kansas city offensively and you don't have to be Jacksonville of a couple years ago. Now, if you are truly elite on one side of the ball, you can still be relevant. You can still make the playoffs, but some kind of balance is necessary to be truly competitive. So yeah, even if they're just middle of the road, because when you have that kind of offense, you're still going to give up points as well. Cause if you're putting up 40, they're, they're your defense is going to give up points and yards and stuff like that it's it's part of the game so statistically is one thing but it's more being um in the moment uh, situational 100 percent is the most important thing situationally when you need to get a run stop can you when you need to convert a third down can you uh those are that's what makes or breaks a team down the stretch and when you're playing other good football teams because it's going to come down to a handful of plays and situationally, yep. who's more ready for that 
And that's what Bill Belichick has preached for years, as you know, being a Bills fan, getting your shit kicked in yep. by him, you know, for <laughs> the last couple decades, you know? And situationally, we never had a chance. Right. So, I mean, that's <laughs> Regardless vital. of the situation. And, and I really feel like, again, Quinn is a good guy. I think that he's the right hire. I think he has a good idea of what we currently have. And I think he ha- he's having a lot of say on how they're moving forward with the personnel that we have. Um, so I think he's really getting a grasp on it at this point and figuring out what we have in house now and how we can further bolster that. I think that they have a couple plans for free agency still, uh, where they're waiting for the free agency period where, uh, the comp picks, uh, because, you know, uh, you get compensation for any player that leaves in free agency and goes and signs a big deal somewhere else. Um, sure. If you don't sign another comparable player of that level to balance that out, the NFL ends up giving you extra draft picks for it. So I think that they're trying to wait for the comp formula, which I believe happens in May. Um, I think they're waiting till after the draft to sign a couple other veterans to kind of help further bolster the defense. And uh, we'll see between the draft and those free agency moves if they do enough to, again, like you said, get good enough where situationally – can you get a big ugly in there that can stop the run? Can somebody plug up and command a double team where they can let the linebackers run free? Because uh, if they can, these linebackers, if they're healthy, can make some plays. But if they're out there having to fight off blocks and all those things, that's not what either one of our key linebackers at this time can do. Uh, they can run. You know? Yeah, Van Der Esch and Smith, they are, yeah. they are great, in the, especially Smith in the open field. I think that he's – just his speed sideline to sideline is – Unlike anything I've really yeah. seen in the NFL now, Absolutely. it's crazy. His straight line burst is insane, but at times he does overrun plays and things like that. And that is because the injury he sustained there in, at Notre Dame makes it so he cannot cut to his right. The And offensive coordinators know that, so they've been exploiting oh, him yeah, in they coverage. Know that. And they're like, all right, we're going to run you know, a jerk route right here with a running back out there in the slot, make Jalen go out there and – and have a dude act like he's breaking to Jalen's left and then break to his right real quick. And he has to spin 270 degrees around to get turned back around <laughs> instead of just cutting to his right. Seriously. And uh, that makes a, a major difference. And it's a huge liability. And where offensive coordinators and defensive coordinators can find those mismatches and liabilities, that's how, again, situationally, how you win and lose yep. football games. So... Hopefully we can minimize that. I would like to see Jalen Smith get moved to the strong side linebacker position, the Sam position in this defense, and let him play moving forward all the time. Because I think that's when he's at his best. Uh, so I would not having yeah. him have to backpedal and play in space exactly, and cover slot guys. Because then yeah. he can truly fly around and just be a psycho, and and not have yeah. to worry about the coverage stuff that a weak side linebacker normally has to deal with. Uh, with that being said, we signed Keanu Neal, who was formerly a safety. They're going to try him at that will linebacker spot. See, and that was actually what I was going to – when we were talking about free agency, because I saw that I was going to ask you if you were surprised that Dallas wasn't trying to go after somebody a little bit more of a high-profile guy. Because I know that that's kind of been the play is, you know, Dallas and Washington getting these pissing matches just trying to get the big-name yeah, guy. Sure. Now that the salary cap, salary cap has a lot to do with – your flexibility and being able to do that. But were you surprised they weren't a little bit more aggressive? I saw so, Keanu Neal, and that was actually another question. Is, do you think they're going to play him in a different position? Because the secondary was suspect last year, but if they'd address it in the draft, which is another question I have yeah. for you, do you see them using Keanu Neal out of, quote unquote, out of position at the yes. linebacker spot? So I see them using him in more of a hybrid type of role. I see him playing, again, in the box a little bit more. Um, almost like a Jamal Adams yes, type of I really see him doing that and doing that well um, no I'm not comparing the sure, two I need to be clear on that so sure, people don't jump on my shit on sure. the internet but but if you look at Keanu Neal highlights you can see this dude is going to jack you up if he hits you uh, now he can make some plays on the football and coverage don't get me wrong but he is not a free safety by any means uh, we also have a, a safety that showed some promise last year that we drafted out of Texas A&M two years ago, Donovan Wilson, uh, who's a strong safety, who I feel is going to be a really solid, strong safety for us. We still need that free safety. We signed another former Falcon, 
Um, and Kazee, who I feel is going to be, you know, a solid free safety. Uh, do I want him to get 100% of the snaps? Not necessarily. I would like to see us take with pick 44, 75, or pick 99. I would like to see us get a free safety. Uh, that could be, um, you know, a Javon Holland from Oregon. It could be a Richie Grant if he ends up making it that far from UCF. Um, you know, I would really like to see us get a, uh, a safety. If we miss out on those guys, our Darius Washington, who's a small guy, but he has great instincts, and he's a football player. He tackles well, even though he's 178 pounds. Um, I really feel like they're going to address that position and the secondary heavily in this draft. I could see us drafting three defensive backs out of the 10 picks for sure. So when we were – now that we're on – now that we're on to the draft, and I know that largely for for either the casual fan or the thing that gets talked about the most, obviously, is just like that first round, that top ten stuff. And so when I'm talking, when I'm looking at Dallas, just just individually, um, I had mentioned a few weeks ago that I thought that the first place I would go with them, if available, uh, was Patrick Sertain at the cornerback position, because when I'm looking at the landscape of that first round, picking at ten like you were mentioned about trying to get a defensive tackle. It doesn't seem like there's really anybody who's worthy of that top 10. I pick don't at have that specific a, position. I don't have a first round grade on any defensive tackle in this draft. Uh, that's for me. I, was personally. Say, I haven't seen anything. Um, and again, I, I do watch film. I find ways to be able to get game tape of all 22 film. Uh, you know, you have to dig pretty hard to find it, but you can certainly find it if you're looking in the right places. And I try to watch two to three games of everyone to get a feel of them, watch them snap in, snap out, try to find tendencies. Uh, The scouting philosophy is if you see a guy do it once, good coaching can make him do it repeatedly. Um, For me, I don't see a defensive tackle that's worthy of being taken in the first round at all. So 10 is out of the question for me. I do like the depth through day two. Um, at the defensive tackle position. I think that's where they address that. I think you're spot on at pick 10. I think that corner is a position that they're going to very heavily consider. And unless a guy that they have in the top five players in this entire draft on their board, I feel it's either going to be a corner or it's going to be Micah Parsons if he's there, uh, the linebacker. Uh, because they are From going, yeah. So he's an absolute stud. He has instincts. Uh, he's still very new to the position. But he ran 4.39 at 245. He was the uh, Big Ten linebacker of the year uh, the last year that he played. Uh, he's an elite athlete. His instincts are great. He has a feel for making stops short of the sticks and short of the goal line, even in coverage. And he was an edge rusher coming out of high school. And he was a damn good one. Uh, one of his specialties is being able to get after the passer as a, uh, as a blitzer. So I really wouldn't be mad about taking Micah Parsons at 10 if the board falls that way. Now, offensively, the only guys I would consider would be Sewell, Pitts, or Kyle Pitts, or yeah. Rashawn Slater out of Northwestern, who has a ton of position flex. He's a five-position potential starter. He is like a Zach Martin type of player, uh, where you could play him at any of the five positions on, on the offensive line, and he's going to provide, you know, pro bowl to all pro caliber play. Uh, he's a really good player. He's a top 10 player in this draft, no doubt. Uh, so Pitts, of course, is for most people is the highest rated non-quarterback in the draft. If it's magic, if it magically happens where he falls, you got to take the guy uh, because he's a lot more than just a tight end. He's just an absolute weapon. Yeah. And what he does is he takes those drives where you end up settling for field goals and turns them into seven points. And at the end of the day, that helps you win football games. So I would understand it. And then you go and attack the defense uh, with the other five picks you have inside the top 150 in this draft. Uh, Other than that, I totally see what you said. Uh, You take the Alabama corner that has everything you want. He's been being groomed to be an NFL player since he was a kid uh, by his pops, who was a solid player. Yeah, his dad, yeah. So he's 6'2". He's a solid athlete. Uh, his tape is really good. He doesn't give up a lot of plays. The only guy that ever really gave him problems um, in, throughout his career, and it was when he was a freshman, and that was a guy that happens to play for the Cowboys in C.D. Lamb, who tore his ass up, actually, when, when Oklahoma <laughs> played Alabama. It didn't help Oklahoma win the game, but 
Right. <laughs> but C.D. Lamb had his way with him. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Yeah, I mean, they all have – like, the tape can't be perfect right. all the time. Like, the, like that's the – those – those especially when it's C.D. Lamb. Yeah. Like, he I mean, ate everybody he, up. So You saw it last year, even as a rookie, uh, playing with, you know, mediocre at that. <laughs> so, we'll put it that way. So, um, and he still almost put up 1,000 yards. He had the most – receiving yards out of the slot for a rookie wide receiver um, in the last like decade. Uh, so I'd say he's, he's on track to be our number one wide receiver within the next couple of years, uh, solid pick. And he's just an elite player. So I don't knock uh, Pat at all for having those issues. I would love to have him at 10. Uh, he's certainly on my list. So my, my flow chart really as far as, as who I would want at pick 10 uh, would really go Panay Sewell, Pitts, Sertan, Micah Parsons, Slater. And from there, it would be J.C. Horn. If we can't get any of those guys, get the hell out of there. And that means that there weren't enough quarterbacks that went in the top 10. And let's face it, it's going to happen. We were going to have one of those guys there, and I'm happy with any of them. And now we go into round two, and let's see what we got. Because I think that's – yeah, I think that that's a, a good point is when this – I think that this draft specifically is where you're going to see – you're going to see trends early on. So, like, we know that three quarterbacks are going at least at one, two, three. Four is still kind of up in the air with Atlanta, it, it feels like. I feel like Atlanta's going to go pits if they don't bail. Um, but I think that New England is going to try to go up and get a quarterback if San Francisco takes the guy that New England hopes they take. Uh, yeah. Okay. So that's, that was one thing I wanted to ask you about because this is okay. This is blowing my mind and I'm sorry to interrupt, but I'm heated about this Mac Jones shit. Sure. So I am, it's for me, it, it, it's crazy how no football game has been played since the national championship game. And there were talks of him being a second or third rounder. Now he's a third quarterback overall, potentially taken. Now I don't understand if you, if your thought process on moving on from Jimmy Garoppolo is that he's hit his ceiling and you can't get any more out of him. And by all accounts, it feels like Mac Jones is just he's ex- a younger he's the Jimmy same Garoppolo. As him. Uh, the only difference like, is it he feels played like with more not... talent in college. That's literally the ex- only difference. Ex- exactly. Thank you. So for me, like I, I had said on the, the podcast last week that if I saw that if Atlanta, I'm with you. I think that Atlanta, if they keep the pick, I think they go pits, but I, I have, I have, um, Denver moving up from nine to four to get whatever quarterback, which I'm assuming would be Justin Fields. I'm assuming sure. Fields would be that number four guy who doesn't get picked out at first three. Again, I don't, I don't think that that's the way the draft should go, but I feel like it is going to go Lawrence Wilson Jones. And then I feel like Denver would move up to get a quarterback because Drew Locke just looked lost last year. And there's too much talent there to be wasted on, on Drew Locke again. You know, Locke again, he's a guy that had a big arm. You had question marks about accuracy and consistently uh, placing the ball, particularly on deep crossers. Uh, and and it, mm-hmm. it showed in the NFL. You saw it at Missouri and you see it in the NFL. He's definitely one of those guys that you think you try to hold on a little hope for him. But Denver has plenty of weapons around him right now. Uh, I would go I would definitely go up and secure another quarterback and let them battle it out in camp and see what happens. Um, Trey Lance is a guy that I feel ran a pro-style offense at North Dakota State. I know he didn't face a lot of top-tier competition. I feel like Lance might be the guy at three that San Francisco ends up taking, and, my, and Mac Jones might be a smokescreen. I feel like Lance makes more adjustments pre-snap at the line of scrimmage, uh, looks at defenses and can really assess things, can change protection, all of that stuff. He takes snaps from under center, which Justin Fields has never done. Uh, which a lot of these quarterbacks, honestly, in college never do. Uh, so I feel like... Yeah, they're running like 70% right. shotgun. So Trey like, Lance, yeah. when I watch him physically, I see a lot of Andrew Luck-type traits when I watch him. He's big. He's physical. He loves to play the game. He has this infectious personality about him. He can really run. Um, on top of that, he has a live arm. It, the ball comes out on time. He knows what he's doing. He doesn't have a lot of starts under his belt, but the starts he has, you can see him making adjustments at the line of scrimmage. I think that's something that could attract 
Shanahan. I think that uh, we'll, it'll be really interesting to see what happens with pick three because, like you said, four is going to be that hot spot. If Mac Jones goes at three, I'm telling you this right now, Cowboys fans are going eight shit because that means <laughs> that means one of our guys that we really like is going to be there because that means that likely five quarterbacks are going to go in the top ten. Because I don't yeah. feel like Lance gets out of the top ten, and I don't feel that Fields gets out of the top ten. Uh, whether that means New England comes up, whether that means Denver moves up and comes up and gets a guy, whether that means Snyder and the Washington Redskins, or pardon me, Washington football team, <laughs> uh, jumps up to go and get a guy. Uh, because it's it we've seen him do it before. Uh, so Yeah, and that's what we're seeing is like, I feel like whoever you want, if because I know that there's been some talk about Jer Bear wanting to trade up from 10 to 4 to get pits, sure. and I don't, I don't see that happening personally. Um, it seems like that would just be a stretch. Well, but if you guys stay pat at number 10, the thing with like what we were just talking about, if we see four or five quarterbacks go in a row, that's where you're going to see mostly like position players. I feel like, cause when you look at uh, uh, Miami and Detroit, uh, Carolina, like enough, Penny Sewell might even drop to, I think they, I think he goes five. Me to too. 100%, I, I, gotta, I think he's, uh, he's got to go, you there, go and get a 20 year old that as a 19-year-old absolutely raw dog was man everybody that he went up against. Everybody. I mean, he's an absolute monster. He's going to be a stud. He's 20 years old. He still has six to seven years to put on strength in the NFL weight room. He's only going to get better. Right. Um, he has natural bend. He's a great run blocker. He has no flaws in his game. He is one of the three or four ironclad prospects in the class to be and with Cincinnati being able to get him at five to protect Joe Burrow is it's just the move and and from there Miami is probably going to get a skill player they might go offensive line um and then Carolina the same thing could get a skill player could get offensive line that means these uh defensive players keep on falling down uh which you know right being able to get a guy that is as well decorated and is as polished as you know Sertan at 10 is is outstanding value so I would be thrilled to be able to grab him again we're going to be in a spot where I have my list of guys I feel comfortable with as long as we get one of them I'm good and we move on to pick 44 and we see what we got I would not like us to move up from 10 to 4 to go get Pitts um, especially because Atlanta is going to be fielding a lot of calls depending on who San Francisco picks uh, so it's yeah. not going to be easy. They're not going to just bend over and let you have that pick. Yeah. And I, I feel like whoever is moving up to four, like, you know, that they're doing it for a quarterback. And that's why I feel like Atlanta's going to get a haul, regardless of who goes at three, you're going to see an arms race of guys going, Oh shit, we got to get the next quarterback. Then if it's, if it did go Mac Jones, or if it did go Trey Lance, we got to go up to get Justin Fields now because new England is not allowed to get another quarterback. They can go to hell. The NFL collectively has to just has to just block right. these from ever like they have to deal with Jared Stidham for the rest sure. of their life. That's the sure. way I look at it. Hey, but. I understand that being in the division. <laughs> I totally get that. I I totally understand. But yes, it's going to be interesting to see what happens there at pick four. We're gonna see some movement. There's no question. Denver, New England, possibly Washington. Just gonna throw that out there. Uh, you're going to see guys looking to get up there. So I really don't think Jerry's going to pull the trigger. Now, if, if Pitts is sitting there at 10, somehow, some way, oh, yeah, that's the pick. Then I would, they, they turn yeah. the card in the moment that they're on the clock and they're doing the happy dance. And we're going to get defensive players with our four day two picks uh, because we do yeah, have well, four of them. So, I mean, that helps. <laughs> exactly. Well, I know that because you said that you have, you have a, an, a you have a prior, um, engagement that you've got to get to quickly about how much more time do you have before you've got to scoot out? Yeah, I've got a solid 10 or so minutes here as far as being able to, uh, to get through some things. If you've got anything else to talk about here. Yeah. Just uh, if we stay with the draft, we'll uh, if we go back to Buffalo for a moment. So one thing that I had uh, brought up a few weeks ago was since I don't watch college football to the extent that you do, uh, one guy that I had really jumped off the page to me when I did watch was Jalen Phillips, who I thought, even though the Bills only, they pick at number 30. So when I'm looking at all the talent that is there, I didn't think that Jalen Phillips would be available at 30. Um, 
but now that I'm, I'm seeing these mock drafts, I'm seeing that him kind of go somewhere between 14 and 18. And then I've actually seen people say that even Caleb Farley might drop as low as 30. I'm assuming because of injury. Yes. Do you see either one of those two guys actually slotting? I do. We had talked about this yesterday. We had talked about yesterday. The, the Bills needs is, is interior defensive line and edge rusher and opposite corner of Tredavious White. And we, we both are just, those sure. are the most glaring. You could get a tight end. You could get a running back. Uh, you could get an offensive lineman if you wanted one. Um, there are places you can go. Uh, but as far as the three most pressing things that you need, I mean, Levi Wallace came back on a one-year deal. Uh, that's yeah. not longevity. Um, so, I mean. Josh Norman's my age. Yeah, right. So, so I mean, <laughs> you know, uh, you definitely need to address that position at some point in time. I really like uh, where they're picking at 30. I really think you can just let the board come to you. The meat of this draft, I really like the depth. All the way through to, you know, early day three, I really like the positions that Buffalo needs. So at 30, you can really just let the board come to you. If Phillips is there, I feel like that should be the pick. Uh, just hands down. Do no you question. see him sliding to 30? I don't know. Do you see if he the does? Health, like, the health was... concerns. If there are teams that just write him off because of medical, uh, mm-hmm. that could be why he falls to me. Talent-wise, he's a top. 15 player in this draft bar none he's the most talented edge rusher in this class he has some bosa hand movement he has the size he's got some burst um as far as being able to bend and do what an edge player needs to do i feel like he is the prototype that's in this draft and he would be a top 15 pick if it weren't for injuries why couldn't he get along at uh the school he was originally at which was UCLA oh, that too. and he transferred to Miami. Right. Why did he have to transfer? You know? So those are some of the questions that people are going to ask um, as far as talent. Yeah. Cause he quit football for a yeah. year. And that, that's why I was like, is this, is this going to be, and selfishly I'm saying good for you. Maybe, maybe those quote unquote character flaws yes. will let you yeah. slide. <laughs> because he's a football player. Uh, don't get it twisted. Yeah. He's back in it. And uh, the tape he put out last year warrants him being a top 15 pick. I currently have him 21 on the board. So it is possible that he falls to 30. Um, Some players that I really like uh, that may be there round two, if you don't get him, I would also, I wouldn't be shocked if they take Ojolari out of Georgia. Um, You know, uh, of course there's Osai um, out of Texas, who everybody has a fringe one round two cheater grade on. Uh, Carlos Basham out of Wake Forest, who is an absolute wrecking ball. Uh, this dude plays with crazy energy. He plays the run at a really high level. And on top of that, he doesn't even know how to really use his hands yet. When a defensive line coach in the NFL can teach him how to actually know what he's doing instead of just crashing into people like a freaking wrecking ball and just going out and <laughs> just smashing into people. <laughs> like, his last name is very fitting for him. There's no question about that. Because <laughs> he's just running through, just mashing people like a psycho. Which I love to watch on tape, by the way. I mean, he's sure. fun. So I really like him. If y'all can land him around two, if you don't get an edge player. Let's say um, the Northwestern corner's there for you guys at 30. Let's say Greg Newsom. Oh, uh, Greg Newsom, Yeah. I really like him. I have him clustered right there with J.C. Horn after Sertan. And I did drop Farley to exactly number 30 on my big board. So he could be sitting there and you might just take the value pick. That so, would I be mean, awesome. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I, it's it's I'm totally on board with what you're saying as far as you can. The Bills at that point in time can almost just pick, pick out of luxury and not necessarily. It's somewhat luxury and it's somewhat necessity because like you said, there's so much talent at those positions that you're not really reaching if it's within like a three or four pick one way or the other, you know, like you, cause you, you can't slide exactly. all the way, you can't slide all the way down to the end of the second round again and get one of those types of guys. But if you've got a cluster of five to six guys at one specific mean or technically two, yeah, right. you can just pick the best available guy there and just the guy who fits your system the best. And I think that if they get any of those guys, like you had mentioned, Newsom or Farley, um, uh, Tyson Campbell, somebody who I who I've heard fluttering around there as well. Just if they can get somebody to sure. be a competent I like quarter, Melafonwu from Syracuse. Um, if you can land him, um, I don't know if 30, 30 is a little rich for me. I have him around pick fifty. I'm at fifty one. 
Um, mm. But if he can be there round two for you, hell, that's a great pick. Uh, he has all the physical skills you want in a close. Pardon the dogs. They're going <laughs> no worries. Over here. But yeah, uh, Melifonwu is another guy who has tons of talent, tons of upside. Uh, loves football a hell of a lot more than his brother did, who was also a physical freak that just did not pan out in the league, who was Obi Melifonwu, who, who dominated think- the combine. I think this thing's telling me I got 10 seconds because we've been on it for an hour. I think it's going to cut me off. So oh, I got you. If, if you want, we'll pick it up later. I really appreciate the time, Dylan, my man. Sure. Hey, you got it, man. Absolutely. Actually, does it still going? Oh, it's still going. I feel really rude for that because, like, my app just went from you're, you're streaming to saying, yeah, you got to wrap that shit up. It gave me the finished recording right. thing. But there's no, But there's no countdown. So I felt really bad for interrupting. But I oh, think you're good. You got, you got places to go. I do, I do. Too as well, but I really appreciate you stopping. We were a full hour of just Cowboys and draft talk. And if I'm able to get back in later on today, we, we'll, we can try to pick it up and put a little bit more on wax. If, if you're available, we'll try. Absolutely. You got uh, it. Absolutely. That was, that was a lot of fun. I appreciate you stopping in my man. Hey, sure thing. And if at any point in time you want to, you know, talk some mock drafts where we just go back and forth, flipping picks and, and see what we can do for a round or two at some point in time, you just let me know. Absolutely. That sounds great. I appreciate it, Dylan. All right, man. Have a good one. Hey, thanks a lot. You too, man. All right. All right. That was Dylan.